0: We often think about being environmentally conscious in our daily lives concerning things like transportation, littering, or of course the food we consume. But as online shopping and home delivery only becomes more common, how much thought are we putting into packaging our goods right in? So today we are talking with Atlantic Packaging, a company that focuses on sustainability, as well as efficiency in the packaging that protects the products you order and ship every day.
1: Welcome to The Good Guide to Business, a podcast presented by the Better Business Bureau.
0: The Good Guide is all about conversations with businesses, organizations, and local leaders who are going above and beyond to make our community a better place.
1: So grab a cup of coffee, sit down, and get ready to listen to this episode's special guest, Wes Carter, the president of Atlantic Packaging.
2: Thank you guys for having me. Lovely to be here.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on the show, Wes. Um, we're super excited to get into this and start talking to you and learning about everything Atlantic Packaging. Um, so to start out, you know, could you tell us a little bit about Atlantic Packaging, um, maybe the story of how you guys got started? I know you guys have a pretty interesting story with that.
2: We do, we do. Um, yeah, it's one of my favorite things to discuss. Um, We are today a 75, well, 76-year-old packaging company now. We were founded by my grandfather, uh, W. Horace Carter, in 1946. Um, We were actually founded as a small weekly newspaper um, in Tabor City, North Carolina, teeny tiny little town just inland of Myrtle Beach. Um, And as the story goes... Uh, My grandfather grew up in a little town right outside of Charlotte, and he was the first kid in his high school to ever go to college in the history of his high school. Um, He went to the University of North Carolina because he wanted to be a writer. Um, And so when he got to school, he had about seventy five dollars in his pocket and he went to the admissions office and said, hey, I'm Horace Carter. I'm here to go to school, but I don't think I can afford to do it. And they said, no, we've seen people do it on less, but you will need to work. Um, So he got a job at the Daily Tar Heel. Um, and fell in love with journalism. And by the time he graduated, he was the editor of that newspaper. Um, so when he got out of school, uh, he did a short stint in the Navy. Um, and then um, he his dream in life was to start his own newspaper. So uh, he answered a classifieds ad uh, in, in the Charlotte Observer um, for, from Columbus County. And, and he moved his family down there and started the Tabor City Tribune, uh, which initially had a circulation of about 800 people. Um, and was primarily reporting on tobacco farming news because that really was the only industry in that part of the, the southeast in those days. Um, but pretty quickly, my grandfather became aware that the Ku Klux Klan was really active in that community. Um, they were terrorizing people, burning crosses, pulling people out of their homes and beating them up. And really, all the things you read about in the history books, it was really kind of ground zero for that. My grandfather had had this liberal arts education and he was a power of the pen, God and country kind of guy. Um, And he took it upon himself to fight the Klan with his newspaper, which was a very dangerous thing to do in those days. Um, But he began writing articles and editorials condemning their activities. Uh, He would infiltrate their rallies and and report on what was going on. And um, he waged about a three year campaign. Um, They threatened to kill him. Uh, They hired a hitman at one point. They threatened to kidnap his children, uh, burn down his house. Um, it was a pretty harrowing experience. And one of the remarkable things I've always thought is everyone he knew told him to stop. You know, every friend he had said, you're going to get yourself killed. You need to stop doing this. But um, he was um, a highly ethical human being. And, um, you know, it was he used to say what's right is right and vice versa. Um, and he never relented. Um, eventually, his editorials got picked up by larger newspapers, including uh, the Charlotte Observer and the Raleigh News Observer. Uh, the FBI contacted him and said, we need your help to infiltrate this vigilante group in the southeast, which is what they did. Uh, they imprisoned over 300 Klansmen, including the Grand Dragon of the Carolinas Ku Klux Klan, which was sort of my grandfather's mortal enemy during that fight. Um, and that really broke their back. They were never the same organization in the southeast, My grandfather won the Pulitzer Prize for Meritorious Public Service in 1952, and he was the first weekly newspaper to ever win a Pulitzer, and he was 32 years old at the time. So that was the beginning of Atlantic, believe it or not. There's a a PBS documentary called The Editor and the Dragon. uh, that's narrated by Morgan Freeman that you can view online. If you want to hear more about that story, it's really good. Um, And... um, so, you know, th- like I said, that was the beginnings of Atlantic. Um, great story. It really set the tone for our organization. Um, it set the core values of integrity and ethics and and, and doing what you say you're going to do and, and really just running an organization the right way. Um, but obviously, today, 76 years later, uh, we're a much different company than just a weekly newspaper. Uh, how did that happen? Um, After my grandfather won the Pulitzer, he got a lot of notoriety, you know, like around the country. And so he started traveling a lot and speaking engagements and, you know, rotary clubs and things like that. And so the second part of his career was really economic development for the Southeast. Uh, we already had printing presses and die cutters for the newspaper, and so he began also converting other types of paperboard, primarily for the apparel and textile industry. Things like collar strips and shirt inserts—all that paperboard that when you buy shirt, or underwear, or socks—and so this sort of separate paper supply business sort of grew up around uh, the newspaper as sort of a uh, another type of business. And pretty soon, those apparel and textile companies asked if we could se- if he could sell them. Tape and boxes and bags, and so like this packaging distribution business just sort of grew up, uh, by, like that. But my grandfather used to always say he never set out to be a businessman; he was always a writer. Um, so when he was in his early sixties, um, he turned the, the business over to my father Rusty, um, who's still our CEO today. And uh, over the next you know forty plus years from the you know the early seventies, um, you know even till today, my my father was the one that really built Atlantic into the the packaging giant that we are today. Um, And, um, yeah, today we're the largest privately held packaging company in North America. Uh, We sell packaging equipment and materials to pretty much every industry vertical, um, whether it be food, beverage, building products, medical device. Uh, We do a tremendous amount in e-commerce these days as that that side of packaging is growing like gangbusters. Um, and today, you know, sustainability and um, and really uh, ethical packaging is the primary driver of how we go to market. Um, and on some level that there is an echo of, of the way my grandfather lived his life uh, that we're trying to manifest with our organization today. Um, you know, we're not fighting for civil rights. We're fighting for environmental rights. But the, the vibration is very similar.
0: Right. Wow. That is uh, one heck of a story to say the least, right? I mean, it sounds like your grandfather was a real life North Carolina folk hero. And then now you're embodying the same spirit with your company and your environmental missions. That's just so cool. And, you know, I, I'm excited to hear more. So, what are some of the industries that you guys create packaging for? You know, we always think of packaging, you think cardboard boxes, bubble wrap. Um, you guys are doing so much more than that, right?
2: Sure, you know, like uh, I like to say, you know, packaging, uh, although it's not all that glamorous and sexy, well, if you're in it, is, you know, we think it's pretty sexy <laughs> but, you know, from the out from the outside looking in. It may look, you know, relatively uh, stale, but the reality is packaging is a thread that that integrates through our entire economic system. You know, like every single thing that you purchase, you know, to live your life at some point in its life cycle was packaged, and a lot of times it was packaged more than once. Um, And so because Atlantic is so diversified into all these different verticals, our organization touches the supply chain pretty much everywhere. Um, We sell a lot of packaging, what we would call B2B packaging, business to business packaging, which is, you know, big consumer products companies, companies like Procter & Gamble or Clorox or Coca-Cola that are manufacturing products, packaging them in bulk and putting them on a pallet and then shipping them to a wholesaler, a distribution center that then ends up in a retail store. So, you know, we also call that logistical packaging. Um, And then uh, we also do more and more um, in B2C packaging. Now, 15 years ago, we did very little in that space because there wasn't a lot of B2C packaging, not like there is today. But with the rise of e-commerce, you know, um, a lot of packaging has moved from the retail shelf to your doorstep. Uh, and so that's a big part of, of, of where we're operating as well. And you know that's you know all different types of consumer goods. But again, we're we're super diversified in what we sell. So thousands and thousands and thousands of items um, of packaging items and a lot of equipment as well. Uh, we don't we don't do any packaging ourselves. So we're not like a contract packager. We literally are purchasing packaging or manufacturing packaging. Um, and then distributing it to the folks that are utilizing it so we're we're in the middle of the supply chain uh, and again we operate in in pretty much every industry vertical which is really interesting for a guy like me and for people that work for us because you know one day we're in a in a you know facility that's, Um, making whatever soap. And the next day we're in a facility that's, you know, making a stereo and the next day we're in a facility that's, you know, processing food. And the next day we're in a a facility that's making soft drinks. I mean, we, we really get to see how everything is made and how everything is it works. Um, And um, yeah, packaging is that sort of common thread. Um, It also has a very massive environmental footprint. Um, And so, uh, that's one of the things that we're focused on today: is how can we, uh, the packaging industry and Atlantic Packaging in particular, have a significant impact um, on things like like packaging waste, um, and uh, and it's a complex issue, but um, radically necessary.
1: That was exactly what my next question was going to be about. (laughs) Um, Like you mentioned, especially with the rise of e-commerce, waste seems to be a big part of packaging, and that's something that consumers, I think, more and more are talking about and feeling themselves, the waste that comes with the packaging that their goods are in when they receive them. So can you tell us more about how your company tries to be more sustainable than the average packaging company in the world that we're in now?
2: Sure. Um, it's it's certainly a multifold strategy. Um, and I like to say that we were doing sustainability before sustainability was cool. Uh, we've just always called it packaging optimization. Um, so, I mean, since the 1980s, you know, we have, instead of just being a commodities broker that's just buying and selling products, you know, my father in particular in the leadership, you know, back in those days made a real strategic decision that we wanted to be in the technology business, that we wanted to have a very sophisticated packaging equipment program. We were going to hire a lot of sophisticated uh, equipment salespeople and also technicians that could not only install packaging equipment, but also work on it to optimize it and, and then become experts in all of these different materials. The, the point of all that was we wanted to help our customers we don't want to sell packaging. We want to help our customers understand how to best utilize it, you know, with the re- with the most amount of efficiency. So historically, that's how we built our value proposition. The reason that companies like Anheuser-Busch wanted to do business with Atlantic is because with our support and consulting services, we could show them how to greatly reduce the amount of packaging that they were using through technology um, and innovation. And, you know, instead of looking at it just as, a piece of equipment or a material really developing programs where you created synergy between the the products that are going on their products that that are being packaged and the equipment and and having a high level of technical support to be sure all those things happen um, with a high level of efficiency. So um, I like to say these days, you know, when it comes to sustainability, use less is always the right answer, you know, and we built our value proposition around use less because it saves people money. You know that was the, the the driver but also things that are packaged really well they don't get damaged and so you know when you look at one of the biggest issues we have in the world from a from a, a negative sustainability perspective is damage you know because when something is damaged during the, the shipping uh, process the whole product goes in the landfill not just the packaging so that was another thing we always tried to key on so again for for a lot of years we built a program around that today however we are much more cognizant also on the materials that we're selling and where those materials are going. So traditionally in packaging, no one thought about where the stuff ended up. You know, after you sold the packaging, you know, that, that we sold it, we're done with it. Today, however, we think a lot more about if we sell this product, what is the end of life? And so the first thing I got to establish is where is it going to end up? Is this in a B2B type application where maybe there's an opportunity for Atlantic to collect the packaging? at the destination once it's been utilized and bring it back and process it um, and and recycle it ourselves, which is something we're working on actively? Or, you know, is it going to someone's house? And if it's going to someone's house, what are we set up to recycle at the curbside? And we need to be sure that the type of materials that we're using are circular. Um, And then also acknowledging that you know, a certain amount of packaging is going to end up in the environment. You know, the studies show that about seven or eight percent of all the direct to consumer packaging ends up in the environment. And that's just a reality. It blows off of porches. It blows out of cars and trucks. I don't know that we ever prevent that. Um, So, again, today we are focused on still on right sizing and optimization, but also on the end destination of those materials and creating circularity and again, and then designing packaging for recycling you know, which is not something anybody ever did in packaging historically, no one was designing for recycling. But, you know, I do believe in some parts based on Atlantic's leadership, uh, and a lot of other organizations waking up to how necessary that is, that is becoming a driving force behind innovation in packaging is designing for recycling, which I think is a very, very um, good development in our industry.
0: Yeah, that's really great. I mean, it's just so, so important to make sure that these products are going to be things that, you know, aren't going to pollute the world for, let's say, our kids or grandkids, right? Absolutely. And that's
2: one of the reasons, you know, that I'm so focused on single-use plastic, um, especially in that direct-to-consumer uh, lane. Uh, we certainly don't have a war on plastics at Atlantic. There are certain parts of the supply chain where plastic makes really good sense. Um, but Plastic in packaging has just become ubiquitous, um, partially because it's really cheap and it's really versatile. You know, like it got to its place of prominence very intentionally. I mean, like it's no surprise that plastic is everywhere because it works so well. But the reality is in this massive proliferation of plastic in all these areas of our lives, you know, the reality is we were myopic. As a culture, we were myopic. And there was a big moment for me. Um, as a person who cares deeply about the outdoors, where I just realized that it, like the problems of plastic pollution in particular were being created by the supply chain that I was a part of, you know? And I, I felt like our industry had a really intentional blind spot. We just literally weren't looking at that. It's really ugly. We're not going to look at that, you know? And that just didn't sit well with me. Um, and I felt like if the supply chain itself didn't wake up, and begin to make decisions that were more in line with healthy life, that our industry and the overall supply chain was going to compromise the integrity of all life on this planet. And, you know, to me, like that was a kind of a a, a big life moment. Like, you know, I have a responsibility to be a voice of reason and use the influence of our organization to create a shift um, because we're in a position to do that. You know, we're in a position to help companies transition away from these problematic products. Uh, But the first thing we had to do was acknowledge that there was a problem. Um, And that's what we've done.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great that, you know, you've been in a position to actually make those changes. Um, So now branching off of that, can you talk a little bit about Atlantic Packaging's zero waste campaign?
2: Yeah, you know, I think it's really important, you know, when you set out (laughs) like I did, to be the most sustainable packaging company in the world, you know, it's an ostentatious goal. Um, You got to walk the walk, you know, and I wanted to show folks that it was not just window dressing, you know, like I'm not just trying to create a sustainability story um, in order to sell stuff, you know, like I was going to make and our organization was going to make the investments necessary um, within our own company um, to really um, establish that sustainability uh, ethos, and ethics throughout our organization so um, zero waste was one of the programs that we really embraced Um, and so over the last several years we've been certifying uh, facilities about two a year uh, as zero waste Um, and there's a third party um, company that we work with called true that actually comes in and does the certification so it's not atlantic just saying we're zero waste Um, and actually it was pretty interesting like for us the first thing we did was audited all of our dumpsters at our warehouses and the thing that we saw in our dumpsters was corrugated boxes, used stretch film, and broken wood pallets. So it was like, okay, well, we had to deal with this. You know, we put in balers. so all of a sudden we started bailing all the corrugated in one baler and bailing all the stretch film in another. And then we worked out a program with a national pallet recovery uh, group um, that started picking up our pallets and chipping them into sawdust, so it could be used in other products. Um, so all of a sudden. Um, we, the, the three primary things we're ending up in our dumpsters, we've created circularity. We're selling the corrugated boxes, we're selling the stretch film, or we're processing it ourselves internally now that we can recycle it, which is great. Um, we've got a closed loop within our own organization there. Um, and we're and we're recycling the wood pallets as well. Um, and and that got us over 90 percent um to zero waste, uh, which was pretty amazing. Um, and it also saved us money because we're not we we're going to pay to haul those dumpsters away. So there was an ROI as well. Um, so we've done that at I think four facilities now, and are on track to add two a year uh, until we get through all of them. Um, and uh, and then we've also got a big program around reducing our carbon footprint. Um, you know, which is mainly about energy and 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 diesel fuel, uh, which runs parallel to zero waste
1: yeah, there's a section on your website that talks about um, your packaging solution center. Can you tell us about that and how that center works to make products more efficient and less wasteful?
2: Yeah, um it is an awesome, awesome operation. Um, our leadership, you know, really felt like you know, six or seven years ago that we were at a point in the evolution of our company where we needed, Um, a really sophisticated packaging testing center, Um, because as I mentioned earlier, packaging optimization is a big part of our business. Um, But we wanted to have a place where we could bring people's products and packaging into a lab environment and do that optimization, you know, in a lab as opposed to doing it in the field. You still have to do it in the field, but we can do so much discovery in the solution center. And so um, it's allowed us to take our optimization to a whole nother level. Um, So at that facility, you know, we have two real primary pieces of equipment, uh, one of them is an 80,000-pound uh, vibration table. Uh, it's called a multi-degree of freedom table that simulates uh, over the tr- over the road trucking. Uh, it it only it doesn't only do vertical. It also does pitch and roll, um, and it's got a really sophisticated controller. So we can uh, we can actually take accelerometers and put them on the back of a truck and measure a vibration profile for a truck for a specific route. Like we, we did one for a company that was shipping orange juice from Florida to California, and they were losing a lot of loads. So we mapped that vibration profile, downloaded it onto the controller, and then can recreate that trip in the lab. We bring those pallets of orange juice in, put them on that table, and we can all of a sudden see how that product's failing. And so instead of just having to over package, which is what they were doing, because they didn't know what else to do, we we're able to say, nope, it's failing right here. You know, between the second and third layer on the pallet, We're having some shear and we're going to be able to create a banding with stretch film or whatever else it may be to accommodate that problem. So, again, just gives us incredible insight into what's going wrong so we can create efficient solutions. And that's really what the solution center is all about. Um, And then we've also got a tremendous uh, automation floor there. So um, in e-commerce, as an example, more and more companies want to automate. Automating e-commerce is really difficult because it's random items. Um, They're coming down the conveyor belt, Um, but we've got a whole area dedicated to unique uh, automation solutions for that. Uh, We've also got a really sophisticated lab that we test products. You know, if people need to test like the thickness of products or the puncture of products or the tear propagation, all of those different ASTM tests that you would see like at a university level, we can do those in-house as well. So um, just it, it allows us to do a lot of discovery um, the other thing that we're doing there now is a lot of sustainable packaging development where a company will say, like, we're working on a project right now for a company that's doing appliances. And they're like, we, we're having damage, first and foremost, and we want to eliminate all plastic. And so they send us the product. We unbox it. We weigh all the pro- packaging. We establish where the damage is happening. And then our packaging engineers begin to say, how can we package this product really effectively, efficiently? with only fiber-based products, only paper, as an example. Um, so it's more uh, sustainable and circular when it ends up at someone's house. And so we'll do that packaging development in-house at the solution Center as well. Um, and um, there's a lot of examples of that um, on our website or on our YouTube channel. You can see a lot of the packaging development that we're doing.
1: That's incredible. I feel like I personally, and probably a lot of people don't think about there being so much constant innovation in the packaging world, so that's just really interesting to hear about.
2: One of the, it's one of the things I've loved about sustainability, like the the drive for sustainability has injected an innovative energy in our, there's always been a bit of that, especially on the equipment side, because everyone's always trying to package at higher speeds, which requires innovation. But the material innovation, like I mentioned earlier, we're designing for recycling now. So that's where, you know, it's, it's required a level of innovation um, that has been significant, especially over the last few years. And um, on the backside of COVID too, like, Package Just like you guys, everyone's packaging awareness is so much higher because they got so much packaging to their house for two years and people are asking questions and really beginning to judge brands ethically on how products are packaged. I don't know about you guys, but I certainly do. When something shows up at my house packaged poorly and with a lot of single-use plastic or you know foam or things like that, I immediately... You know, have a judgment call about the organization that shipped that product to me, um, and the supply chain's waking up to that, um, which which is great because it means the power is with the people. You know, it's it, the people have the power to shift the supply chain by demanding sustainable packaging and sustainable products as well.
1: Yeah, and then so I really, I can only speak to this on the consumer side, but from my standpoint, it seems like. Environment. the more environmentally friendly options oftentimes are also more expensive than the alternative. Is that the case for you guys? And how do you balance out increased costs if there are those versus keeping things environmentally friendly?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's not always the case, but certainly it is sometimes the case. Um, So one of the great things about having a solution center is we can look at packaging from a very holistic perspective. So, like I mentioned earlier, like we are never not optimizing. Right sizing packaging is always something we're focused on. So, um, as an example, you know, two years ago we launched an initiative called a new earth project. And a new earth project was about embracing the outdoor industry um and encouraging that industry to go sustainable before anybody else, and well, not before anybody else, but to lead, you know, the sustainable revolution, because obviously. Their industry takes place in the outdoors. Perfect, you know, perfect uh, vertical to to lead sustainability. And one thing we started on was surfboard packaging, not because it's a huge, you know, uh, vertical for us, but it was a cool way to show what could be done. Traditionally, uh, surfboards were packaged with a lot of plastic bubble wrap and, and plastic tape and foam. Um, And we came up with a fiber-based solution that was really sophisticated and um, protected the board really well, was curbside recyclable, but it was more expensive. The the paper itself was more expensive than bubble wrap. So we found a way to optimize the box itself, and we reduced the overall dimensional weight um, of the shipping container, which the, the freight savings from the dimensional weight savings, um, were greater than the cost of the material. So now we were able to deliver a much you know more appealing, secure um, sustainable package for packaging surfboards and it was cheaper when you looked at it holistically and took into effect the uh, the shipping costs. So again having more expensive materials is not always the case. it sometimes is. and we're always looking for to find ways to offset that you know by reducing packaging or reducing dimensional weight or whatever else it may be um because i like to say too if it's not economically viable then it's not very sustainable either because no one's going to use it you know so like there's a lot of solutions out there that are quote more sustainable but if they're 10 times the price it doesn't matter because no one's going to buy that um i've seen a lot of that you know out there in the world where people are bringing products to market to replace single-use plastic with a you know bio-based product i'm like you know, and it, it that that product is already so commoditized. No one's gonna pay 10, 15 X. Um, and that's one of the things that we bring is is a level of understanding of where the right products for the right applications uh potentially exist.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like if you guys do everything right, you know, you you do the research for your clients, like a lot of these times it sounds like it ends up as an absolute win where you know their bottom line is helped and the environment's also helped which is just great in my opinion. Yeah,
2: I mean our one of our primary objectives every single time we do one of these projects is economic viability. You know, like and we're not always successful. Sometimes there is a cost impact, but hopefully it's you know, you know less than 15%, you know, we have some targets that we're always trying to shoot for, but the reality is the more economically viable it is, the more viable it is period. You know, and so, um, you know, the great hope is that we're able to save companies money and give them a more sustainable solution. And much of the time we are um, because the status quo in packaging is really wasteful. um, And because we have such a highly consultative technical model, we can almost always find ways to reduce waste, almost always. Um, And so we go into a lot of these products or projects with a lot of confidence that we're going to create a solution that is cost effective and viable
0: as well. So one thing I really wanted to ask you about, Wes, that I think is just super cool is the fishbone beverage carrier system. You know, when you think about pollution in our waterways and our oceans, you often think of like the poster child of that is these plastic rings that you always see caught around animals and and caught around our, um, our sea life. So can you tell us a little bit more about that alternative, the fishbone beverage carrier system? Yeah, I mean, Fishbone,
2: honestly, was one of our early innovations um, in replacing single-use plastic. Um, and so, to your point, like the six-pack ring, that six-pack ring's been choking turtles since I was a kid. I have no time in my life, you know, and I grew up at Wrightsville Beach, North Carolina. I have no time in my life where I didn't realize that that product was problematic. Uh, but you guys are talking about innovation. You know, it required sustainability, Um, and the drive towards sustainability to ask the supply chain, hey, can we develop a better alternative? Um, And that's exactly what um, some friends of ours in California, some packaging inventors did. Um, They came up with the first ever fiber-based beverage carrier um, that's 100% paperboard. um, And they brought that to Atlantic uh, initially and said, hey, we are looking for a company. These are like five guys that are inventors. And they're like, we're looking for a company that can help us bring this to market in a big way um and we feel like you guys are the right guys um it was it was re- really neat for us because we do have a printing department um in North Carolina where we could actually manufacture the fish bones in house uh print them and convert them in house uh but the real key was we had to develop equipment because you know the the six pack rings the traditional plastic six pack rings at a big beverage company like a Coca-Cola they're putting those things on six packs at 2000 a minute i mean it is super fast And so it's not just a matter of, oh, we've got something to replace a six-pack ring. You've also got to have a piece of equipment that can drop in and run at 2000 a minute. Because if you don't, it's not viable, you know? And the other thing, too, is the the, the machines that put the plastic rings on have a very small footprint. And a lot of these beverage um, companies do not have a lot of space. So that was the other real challenge. And so there were, were not very many companies, I guess there probably weren't any other companies out there, that had the ability to manufacture the fishbone and develop the equipment, both. And so we uh, we spent the next you know couple of years working on that and bringing it to market. Um, and you know we've innovated with the fishbone a lot. I think we hold like 14 patents now for different styles of fishbones. Um, everything from like a flat card to my personal favorite, which is called a C clip, which catch captures the can twice and creates a nice little billboard on the shelf. Um, and, um, yeah, it's a great product. It's curbside recyclable. And, uh, if you take it on a boat and it accidentally flies out, um, in, in, you know, six or eight weeks, it's going to be gone. So, um, we're, uh, we've, uh, we've had a lot of success with that product and, and really believe you're going to see more and more of the major beverage guys move away from, from single use plastic six pack rings in the coming years. Um, there's some big companies like Molson cores that have already made, uh, that move away. Um,
0: so, uh, more to come. That's fantastic. I'll look for that the next time in the grocery store.
1: <laughs> yeah, that really is awesome. Um, I know you already talked a little bit about the New Earth Project, but is there anything else you wanted to add about that program?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, the New Earth Project has really been a passion project um, that was born out of uh, a love for the outdoors, um, you know, a personal love for. For surfing and skiing and snowboarding and backpacking and mountain biking and you know i like to say like you know the outdoors has been really the backdrop for my youth and um you know i had an opportunity to engage with the the professional surfing community and like i mentioned before i really felt like elite athletes um professional athletes especially in outdoor sports could be an amazing megaphone um, and and use their voices to advocate for sustainability. And I felt like that we could offer the technical expertise of an Atlantic packaging to the companies in the outdoor industry, which traditionally wouldn't have gotten the support of a company like ours, just because that industry is not as big as say the beverage industry or the food industry. Um, But the partnership was, we're gonna help you guys be fully sustainable, eliminate plastic where we can create circularity Um, And our only ask is that we tell your stories. Um, And so that's what we've done. We created a documentary series called Journey to a New Earth that really documented um, Taizel surfboards initially, like moving away from plastic Um, and um, with, you know, Hawaii and the North Shore as the backdrop. And uh, we're in the process of working on season two right now. Um, And there's a lot of surfing in season two, but there's also a lot about snow sports um, in season two. So we're working with some really prolific, uh, brands and skiing and snowboarding. Um, and, um, and yeah, we're using the outdoor industry as, as, um, an example of how to create sustainable packaging, um, and do it in a really fun way. And, um, I've always believed that, you know, human beings are storytellers by nature and it's the thing that people respond to the most. And, you know, the migration away from, you know, pollution and problematic packaging to more circular and Earth-friendly packaging can be a very beautiful global story. Um, I I honestly believe it can be our generation's moon landing. I think it's the thing we can look back on and say, our generation, was were the ones that woke up to this problem, uh, whether it be climate change or plastic pollution, and we acknowledged it, and we took on the mantle of being the change. And that's what A New Earth Project is all about, is being the change and celebrating it, you know, because, This can be amazing. This can be awesome. Um, And and that's what we're trying to do with that initiative.
0: Yeah. Is there anything else? We're starting to wrap up here. Is there anything else that you'd want our listeners and our viewers to know about Atlantic Packaging?
2: You know, um, I think it's just, I would ask that, you know, everybody, whether you, you know, work in in the supply chain and industry um, or, you know, just uh, are a responsible human being, you know, that um, that we have a huge opportunity as a, as a country, as a culture, as a global community to, to really acknowledge that, you know, we've made some decisions, um, you know, over decades that um, are really having a negative impact on life on this planet. Um, and we have a responsibility as human beings, as intelligent sentient beings to, to wake up to the impact that we're having and acknowledge where we've made mistakes and commit to creating solutions. Um, human beings are radically innovative. We are really, really good when we work together. These are complex problems that require complex solutions, um, and so it, it requires the talents of all people, you know, and um, I would just encourage people like to to be a voice for sustainability within your organization uh, and in your communities. You know, vote for people who, who value conservation of wild places and who value sustainability. We have to have uh, it's not just businesses we have to have governments on board too um, and you know at the end of the day like the, the power is in the hands of human beings and, and, and everyday people um, and if you if you care about you know life on this planet you care about the future generations to come like these are decisions that we have to make and these are things we have to do now you know there's an urgency to this and so you know, at a new earth project you know our sort of taglines are we do this together and we do this now um, and so we invite anyone to join us in, in our initiative and, um, and tune in. Yeah, check out uh, Journey to a New Earth. You can watch it on YouTube. If you just go to YouTube and enter in Journey to a New Earth, uh, season one's up there for viewing. Uh, you can also go to anewearthproject.com. That's one of our websites that has a lot of information. Um, you can also find us on Instagram at a New Earth Project. Uh You can find me at, at Wes M. Carter. Uh, On Instagram, and you can also find us on LinkedIn. So we post a lot. We are very avid on social media because it's a really good way to communicate uh, globally, visually in real time. So uh, we think that that media and podcasts like this as well are a great, a great way to get the messaging out. So um, yeah, that's what I would say is please join us. Um, It does require talents from everybody.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on our show with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah,
0: really. We can't say thank you enough. It's been fantastic getting to talk to you um, and hearing everything you have to say. You provide a really unique perspective, um, being someone who can actually make a major change in the environment. It's been great talking to you.
2: Yeah, man. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks, guys.
1: I appreciate
0: it. Thanks, Thanks,
2: Wes.
1: To all our listeners, thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Good Guide to Business.
0: And of course, be sure to follow us on social media. Uh, we still have that new handle at BBB Carolinas, so be sure to look for that. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and of course, go listen to The Good Guide on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We release episodes every other Wednesday, so be sure to tune in then.
1: All right, stay safe, and we'll see you next time.
0: See you guys.